me to keep my hands down a little bit today because it's hot and we've got the fans going. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to become like a one-armed pastor or anything like that, you know. <laughs> and I don't want you to have to clean up the mess if my arm like, gets cut off or anything like that. So as David said, or tried to say, the topic that I'm, I'm, I want to focus on for our discussion point today is, is gratitude. And I've subtitled that platitude or attitude, just because they all rhyme. But actually, the idea of gratitude, it can become a bit of a platitude for us because it's so easy for us to receive teaching in the church about gratitude and then say, well, yeah, I live a life of gratitude, when it's actually not an attitude that we employ day by day. It really is a platitude. It's something that we say without really understanding the depth of meaning that it has. Sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? That, by the way, comes from the skit guys. I love the skit guys. And uh, we, we buy a number of their skits so we can use them in church. And um, while ever I'm up here, you'll probably get to hear from the skit guys fairly regularly because they've got a fabulous ministry. They really have. And uh, I love what they do. But there's a great message in there, isn't it? That yeah. uh, sometimes we can become so used to everything that we have that all of a sudden we lose the attitude of gratitude and we start taking things for granted. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about Israel today because, you know, they had a lot of great miracles in their experience as, as a people. And uh, remember, it kind of started after 400 years in slavery, didn't it? And uh, Moses led them out of, out of Egypt. And uh, I love this little cartoon. You know how it says in the New Testament, if you have uh, faith as a grain of mustard seed, 
You can actually say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Well, this little cartoon, Jeff Larson, he's another guy, I get cartoons from Jeff. He's um, got a, a cartoon strip called The, the Back Pew. And um, he says he Ned crossed the Red Sea with his face the size of a mustard seed intact. I wonder why. <laughs> because the whole, the whole sea parted. Now, just, just think about this. If you had a miracle like that in your life, would you be grateful? How long do you reckon you'd be grateful for? Eh? Did you say not long, Helen? We've got, perhaps we've got one honest person or maybe she's speaking from experience or maybe it has something to do that she comes from the land over, what are we, the land where the palms all come from, yeah? Hey? Remember what they used to eat? They used to call them winds and palms in Australia. Remember that? When, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, they called them winds and palms. <laughs> but if you had a big miracle in your life, you know, how, how much would that influence the way that you um, accept all that God has given you? And you know, with, with Israel, there are many, many miracles. There wasn't just the miracle. In fact, weren't there ten plagues sent upon Israel before Pharaoh would even allow the Israelites to leave Egypt? So there, were a, there was miracle piled upon miracle before they even got out of Egypt. And then they did escape from Egypt and remember that the sea closed in behind them and drowned the army of Pharaoh. Could Pharaoh change his mind? He kept changing his mind. Oh, maybe that Pharaoh was a woman, I don't know, but kept changing, kept changing his mind. And even after they left, he changed his mind again and sent the army after him. And, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard stories about, some theologians try to explain these kinds of things away. Of course, I say, oh well, the sea was very shallow, it was a really windy day. And, um, they tell the joke, you know, of a, of a bunch of theologians who were trying to explain the miracle away. And, um, they, they came to agreement that it was actually just a swamp, it was very shallow water. And they could actually walk right through it. And there's this little old lady at the back of the church who stands up and she says, Praise the Lord! He drowned the whole Egyptian army in two and a half inches of water! <laughs> so you see, it really depends on how you look at it, doesn't it? Hey? It really depends on... Yes, stay away from the sand. Don't get excited underneath the sand. <laughs> so they had many miracles, but also the Bible records much grumbling. In fact, there are 14 specific instances recorded in the Bible of grumbling on the part of the Israelites. So I'm actually going to go through them all. I'm not going to read the whole of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Exodus and Numbers in particular, where these are all recorded. If you wish, you can go and read it. In fact, I recommend that you do, because you learn a lot from their experience, right? Yeah. And maybe if we can learn from their experience, we don't have to repeat the same kinds of things ourselves. But actually, they started grumbling pretty early on, in fact. Because, remember, when, I, uh, when uh, Moses first went to Pharaoh and said, you know, let my people go, what, what, what did the Egyptians do to the um, Israelites who were slaves? They were making bricks, right? What, what, what happened? He made it harder for them to make bricks, didn't he? Didn't he say you had no straw for your bricks? 
Now, back in then, those days, they made bricks out of mud, and the straw was used to hold the mud together, and then it would dry and form into a hard, a hard brick. So it actually made it more difficult for them to make bricks. So they, they were starting to grumble even before they got out of, out of Egypt, and they blamed Moses for all this. Moses, you're getting us into strife with Pharaoh because of all this talk about the promised land. So they didn't have a vision even for the future that God had mapped out for them. And they all got cranky against Moses. Not too long after they got through the miracle of the parting of the waters, they started grumbling to Moses about being in the wilderness. And you know, instead of them having in their minds this idea that Moses was leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land, what did they say? They said, Moses, you brought us here in the wilderness just to let us die. (coughs) That's very significant because what happened to them? They did die in the wilderness. There wasn't a single adult among them who actually set foot in the promised land. They all died and they never got into the promised land. Was that God's fault? They prophesied, didn't they? They prophesied over their own future when they started grumbling to Moses saying, you have brought us out here into the wilderness to die. When he hadn't done that at all. God had given them Moses as their leader to bring them into the promised land. Then the next recorded grumbling is uh, in Exodus as well. It's about bitter water. They didn't like the taste of the water. My goodness me. Their, their, their frame of ref- reference wasn't praise God, we're not going to die of thirst. Instead, their point of reference was we don't like the taste of this water. Then they went about being hungry. Just like little children. Wah, 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 I'm hungry. Now, God is very gracious to them and he sends them manna. Pretty good, eh? The manna fell down from heaven and all they had to do was pick it up off the ground and they had to pick up a little bit extra so that they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. So they picked a little bit up extra on Fridays. They weren't called Fridays back then, of course. So that they didn't have to work on the, on the, on the Sabbath. Then they went about being thirsty. Now this is over a period of time, of course. This isn't all, this isn't all in five minutes, but this is recorded in the Word of God that the, the people didn't have a frame of reference that says, I'm grateful for what I have, I give you thanks for what I have. And they didn't have a frame of reference that said, it's not always going to be like this. And if we, in this case, follow our leader Moses, we're actually going to enter into the land that God has promised us, where we're going to be free people, slaves no more. The sixth episode of complaining, whinging, not being grateful, was when Israel forsook the Lord altogether and worshipped the golden calf. 
Now what had happened, you might recall, is Moses had gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. So he was actually not there. Do you know what? They got sick of waiting for him to come back. And so they found all the gold they could find. They melted it down. And they decided, we're going to worship a golden calf instead. Isn't that unbelievable? Eh? But how many of us find golden calves to worship? For some of us, you know, it can actually be our work. I have to be very careful about that because I'm a bit of a workaholic. I have to be careful about that. For others, it could be money or power. You see people who are really driven, don't you, every now and then? They've actually got some idol in, in their life. Well, as a result of this, you know, God by this time was starting to wear a little bit thin in terms of patience. Well, the Bible says God is long-suffering, but he doesn't suffer forever. And on this occasion, he told the Levites to go and slay 3,000 people. So 3,000 people were killed. This is the first time, I believe, that there's a record of Moses actually interceding with God on behalf of the people. Again, they complained about the food. This is in Numbers. And by then, Moses, you know, Moses was never a confident leader, was he? When, uh, when God first set him aside to, to lead, he wasn't at all confident. He didn't think he was a good public speaker. In fact, in Genesis, it's reco- sorry, in Exodus, it's recorded that God's anger burned against Moses because Moses kept giving him all these excuses as to why he shouldn't lead. Now, it's quite possible that he felt that he wasn't a good leader because the first time that he tried to do anything in Egypt, the people rejected him. You'll find that actually recorded in, in the book of Hebrews, that it came on his heart to go and rescue his people And in that process, that was when he killed the Egyptian. And his people feared retribution from Pharaoh. So they rejected Moses and he ended up spending 40 years in his own wilderness. Now, a lot of commentators say that was his fault because he murdered an Egyptian. But I still think if you read that passage in Hebrews, it tells us quite plainly it was the people who rejected him. So he goes away for 40 years. So he doesn't see himself as a very successful leader, right? So here he is. Things are going pretty crook. He hasn't got anywhere near the promised land. The people are against him. So he wants to die. Anyway, he hung around for a little bit longer. Then we get into the eighth episode where the people thought it was too difficult to enter into the promised land. So if you think something's too difficult, you're not going to be able to do it, are you? Now they say of athletes, like a high jumper, for example, before they jump, they actually see themselves going over the bar. That's the only way they can get over it, particularly at that level of competition. But if they see themselves failing to get over the bar, there's just no way they're ever going to do it. And combined with the fact that they'd already prophesied over themselves they were going to die, they get to the point where they decide anyway it is too difficult to enter the promised land. 
So, any gratitude they might have had for the great miracles that God uh, used to get them out of Egypt gone out of their minds. Even God's provision of manna and later quails when they complained about the food, that's gone out of their minds. The sweetening of the water, that's gone out of their minds. Everything God had done for them, out of their minds. They're focusing on their current circumstances. They got to the point recorded in Numbers 14 where they actually wanted to depose Moses. Not just get him out of leadership, but to kill him as well. So they'd lost their confidence in their leader, they'd lost their confidence in God and they're doing things according to their own wisdom. And how often does that happen? And every now and then you know pastors might say, well that means you should never murmur against uh, your pastor, you can murmur against me, that's okay, I can take it. Alright? And if you just murmur quietly, murmur to one of these two or, or those two and I promise you, at the right time they'll tell me. <laughs> and hopefully whatever it is that I'm doing wrong, I'll be mature enough to correct. So this is not actually saying that you should never, ever provide feedback to a leader. Because if you, if you don't, leaders themselves will often go out of line. Particularly leaders who don't surround themselves with a core of people who can keep them accountable. So this is really not an argument that senior pastors or others in leadership shouldn't be accountable at all. Moses was accountable because he had Aaron and he also had Miriam, by the way, his brother and his sister, and obviously he was accountable to God as well. But, but he did have that accountability framework. So this is not to say you should never be, as it were, critical of people in leadership, but you need to direct that criticism in the right way. And, uh, of course, we're always open to, to feedback. Um, so they wanted to get rid of Moses. Then they tried another rebellion. That's, uh, I might have got some of the scriptures a bit wrong there, but um, I probably did that in too much of a hurry. But they got to the point where the whole community said, this is too much for us. This is just too much for us. They couldn't keep in mind all that God had done. An attitude of gratitude had long since worn out of their way of doing life and they were going nowhere as a, as, as a tribe Israel was going nowhere three more <clears throat> they ended up accusing Moses of killing God's people so things are going wrong what do they do? they blame the leader how often does that happen? The next thing, here we go, they're complaining again because of lack of water. This is when Moses lost his cool totally. He became embittered, didn't want to lead his people anymore and actually he missed out on the promised land himself. Remember when he struck the rock? He wasn't actually doing God's bidding. He took matters into his own hand and that actually disqualified him from entering the promised land. So even though, this is a bit of an aside, even though Moses probably had good reason to be cranky by then, right? Because there had been so much that had come against him over a long period of time. Even though he might have been justified, God had never given him permission to be angry at the people. So he lost his right 
to enter the promised land himself. And then, a bit later on, this is in Numbers 21, they have a general whinge to God and Moses, a general whinge about just about everything. This is when God sent the fiery serpents to bite them. And do you know, there are some snakes that fly through the air, and I think the fiery, I, I, I was looking at some photos of these snakes flying through the air um, on, uh, on my computer this morning. And, uh, but th- these particular snakes have never been known to live in that area, but um, who knows, maybe they were flying through the air, maybe the, the fire has something to do with the effect of venom on, on people. Thousands and thousands of Israelites died after being bitten by these snakes. And you might remember the story how God said to Moses, I want you to make a, it was a bronze snake, put it up on a... Oh, yeah, I thought you were saying you got that bit wrong, Rod. <laughs> yeah, I stand over here, you know, the bronze snake up on the pole, and, and God said if people will look at that snake, then the, uh, the venom of the snake won't, won't affect them. And a couple of things there, we don't really have time to go into great detail today, but that really is a type of the cross. You see, as we look, as we look to the cross, our faith is built up, and we receive and act out the promises of God. The people of Israel, when they looked at the serpent on the stick, they were no longer affected by the snake. So they looked toward that. That gives them the faith to be able to survive the attack of the enemy. In fact, those snakes represent more than the enemy. They represent sin. And I just think it's quite interesting that, see this symbol here? What's that that symbol in the middle? It's a snake on a stick, right? So that, that symbol is actually still exists today. A lot of medical emergency services, ambulance services and so on, actually use a symbol like that even today. And it harks all the way back to that experience that Israel had all those years ago. So there's a bit of biblical influence coming through um, today. So that's 13 instances of where the people didn't live out an attitude of gratitude. They complained, they whinged, even at one point they wanted to kill Moses, their leader. One other instance, Miriam and Aaron, at one stage, they complained about Moses' leadership. These were the two two people in particular who were meant to surround him and to um, uphold him and to, to build him up But instead of doing it in a positive, critical way, they did it in a negative way. So this is not to say you should never ever call leaders aside and give them some feedback. But what these guys did, they complained about his leadership. And you might recall that Miriam wound up getting leprosy as a result. That was was what happened to her for doing that. So um, I've put down here, suck it up. That's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, of course, that um, it doesn't mean we should never go to our leaders, but that's not the point that I want to make. The point that I want to make is that they didn't even go to Moses and say, hey, Moses, we recognise what you did, but it's a huge risk you took in going to Pharaoh. Because, see, he could have been killed the first time he went to Pharaoh because he'd murdered an Egyptian. He'd murdered someone. He was taking a big risk. You took a big risk. 
You know, you worked with God ten plagues until Pharaoh said, I will let the people go. Led the people by miracle through the waters. Led the people into the wilderness and he would have led them right through the wilderness. It, shouldn't have, it should have only taken a few weeks for Israel to get to the promised land. Instead, all the adults who left um, Israel never made it at all. They spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and they all died. Sorry? What did I say? Oh, no, they left Egypt. Oh, gee, yeah, that's, I'm glad you picked me up on that one, Neil. Too right. So, 14 recorded instances of grumbling and mumbling about God, about circumstances, and about leadership. When actually God had in, what God had in store for Israel was the promised land, which we know when we read a little bit further on in the Word of God, was indeed a land of milk and honey. It was a land of, of trade. It was a land of wealth. It was an amazing place for God to take Israel. And we know that they never properly um, took it over and all those sorts of things. And that would be a, a discussion point for another time. Now that's a bit negative, all of that, isn't it? And, and I think there are lessons in there for us. All of us, myself included, have been grumblers. There's no doubt about that. None, none of us can say that we live a life of gratitude. All of us have found things to complain about, sometimes perhaps justified, but most of the time probably not when you put it aside all that God has done for you. So I don't like leaving people at a point like this, all right? Because if we leave it here, we can go away thinking, oh, you know what, I'm really not that good a person. I wind your beard, I'm not always grateful. I want to give you an antidote. And there's always an antidote in the Bible. You know, whenever we find something in the Bible that might point to our weaknesses or negative things, we can always find an antidote. And uh, the antidote, I believe, or one of them anyway, is to be found in um, the book of Philippians chapter 4. I was actually going to read out the whole chapter, but uh, it's fairly hot, I don't want to keep us here too long. But let me just read um, an excerpt from, from that book because there's a number of keys in here, I believe. And this is Paul writing to the Philippians. Don't worry about anything. By the way, it's the New Living Translation that I'm using here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is what psychology is all about. Well, not, not all about. Cognitive, what they call cognitive therapy 
in psychology is all about this. It's all in the Bible. You don't need a university degree to know about it. It's in the Word of God. And then Paul goes on to say, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Well, where can we get all that? We can get all of that by reading the letters he wrote, the epistles that Paul wrote. And then we can put into practice the advice that he gave. And let's go a little bit further. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. That doesn't matter so much. I know that you have always, um, in our context, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. He, he was destitute financially, but he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content. I, I teach my students this every year. I teach them this. I say, don't worry about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not a Christian concept because the Holy Spirit transcends everything. I don't know whether any of you have ever read um, Maslow. He was a great guy. People loved him, but he was an evolutionary psychologist, so nothing he wrote is consistent with the Word of God. But I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now this is not an invitation to be triumphant. What this relates to here, right? It's, it's Christ in me that makes it possible for me to live that secret, right? In every situation, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, right? Whether I'm being persecuted or whether I'm not. It's Christ in me that allows me to do that. What a wonderful antidote to ingratitude that is. What an absolutely wonderful um, antidote to ingratitude that is. Here's another. another. This is another little cartoon. But remember, Psalm 100 and that Ainsley reminds us of this one sometimes and it's very appropriate when we're entering into a time of praise and worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You want to be in the presence of God? Be thankful and praise him. You want to be connected with God? Be thankful and praise him. Take your needs to him, don't grumble. Take your needs to him, don't grumble. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, a little exercise. We won't spend too much time doing it here now, but I think it's actually worth maybe taking a little bit of time, sometime today. Think about what you're grateful for. What are you grateful for? Start even writing down a list to remind yourself that there are some things that you're very grateful for. I'm grateful for my salvation because I might have been dead. I was very depressed when the Lord saved me and I had thought about suicide. I don't know whether I would have done that, but I know for sure and certain that I would have walked out on my family and I wouldn't be standing here today surrounded by my family and you people. I am grateful for that. Every time I get out of bed and walk, I thank God that I'm alive. I cannot help that because it might have been otherwise. And I thank God that I've had the incredible joy of being in family. And now the the joy of just being here with you this morning, I'm so grateful to God for that. Another thing that I practice sometimes is thanking God for stuff that doesn't happen. And uh, this often happens to me when I'm going to work and I don't have an accident. You know, when you're surrounded by idiot drivers and uh, you have a near miss, well, instead of cursing the driver, I say, praise God that I didn't have a prank because I'm too busy to have a prank <laughs> or the hassle that will bring. So every now and then, as well as thinking on the stuff that you're grateful for, just think about too, you know, in the little video, oh, I'm grateful that I wasn't born in a third world country. I've been to third world countries. I'm pretty grateful that I wasn't born in a third world country myself. So, And that's not an excuse for us to feel superior or anything like that. But sometimes, you know, when we're feeling a little bit down, it's not a bad idea to think, well, you know what? I mightn't have the money to buy a pair of shoes today, but at least I've got feet. You know what I mean? And if you're worried about that, well, you know, I've got no feet, well, at least I've got legs. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I really do think it's a good thing every now and then to discipline ourselves, to, to make a mental list or actually write a little list and practice the attitude of gratitude. I think it's time for some community time. <laughs>